Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm going to be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate this is greg olson inviting you to check out my new blue wire podcast te1 where i interview tight ends throughout the history of the nfl who have helped revolutionize the position TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, this is Ruben off the cheek. I'm Pat Nevin. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of London's Blue Podcast. This is going to be an international break episode because without football, what do we have to talk about? Well, thankfully, with all of you out there and our listener audience, our friends in, in Discord and social medias, uh, we've been able to get a bunch of questions from you guys. Thanks to Dan doing some some great work consolidating, filtering through the thousands of subscriptions or, or submissions I'm sure that we got uh, Dan and, and we came out with something a little little interesting and not only that we have a, a live audience hanging out too don't we we do we have members of our patreon slash discord community joining us right now they're getting a chance to see just how ridiculous Nick looks the vast majority of the time when we're recording and so you know really that was the whole impetus of this was to put Nick on display but I think what we'll do is we'll also answer some questions and, and really maybe you know stuff that we can't get to Nick on a regular basis because just the you know we have match reviews we kind of go along we have a day on the match poll that really needs in-depth analysis and then you know we just yeah. can't answer all the questions in a regular episode yeah that that day on the match poll needs some scrutiny on a weekly basis is what that needs um yeah this is we do these every once in a while this is fun it's some different types of questions you know, we say a lot that our, our Discord is where we get some of our more most thoughtful, you know, conversation starters. So I have no doubt that this will be the case here. And let's dive in. Let's dive into the goodness. All right. Well, first one up is from Gana Zagina30. Over, by the way, do we say all these are from Discord? If not, they're all from Discord. So you guys are heroes. He says, here's purely a speculative question. How much is the lack of fans positively or negatively impacting particular mm. players? Example, do the newbies maybe feel less pressure because fans aren't there? 
Do players like Cho feel more freedom to play without fans? Does Tammy struggle because the fans aren't there to appreciate his hard work? Nick, to me, this sounds like the NBA bubble, right? As far as like, is there a lack of uh, environment, this element of not having fans? Absolutely. The players that are enjoying it the most are the three-point shooters. Shooting lights out. It's completely changed the game. I bet after this season, we'll go back and look at the statistical models to say home field advantage went away in this scenario because the fans aren't there to sing players' names. They aren't there to ride the players that they deride and don't like on the other team. Uh, There's probably very tangible effects to not having fans in the stadiums right now. Yeah, I think it's a player-by-player thing. You know, like uh, the the call-out here is like Tammy feeds off of the crowd, you know, is, is a good one. And I think there are a lot of players who are like that. Um, but, you know, for a player that makes a mistake during the match, you don't get to hear the the bad <laughs> along with some of the good that would be there. So I, I could see it working, Dan, in a number of ways. But I think overall, the lack of fans has been uh, terrible uh, for me, for the experience of watching, for our friends who typically go to matches on a regular basis. Um, I cannot wait till the, uh, the pandemic is over and we get to have a live match atmosphere again. Yeah. I think it's something everybody drastically wants and desires. I mean, it's no different for Arsenal supporters. So, you know, I mean the way it is now versus the way it was, uh, you know, 10, 12 <laughs> months ago, exactly the God. same. So that's the really one of the only areas not impacted by this current situation. But I think in general, I, I will be interested to look at the stats and, and maybe we even kind of look back at the restart era to see what the impact was as well. There, there probably is some evidence to what it does. You know, I was watching the Leeds documentary where they were kind of prepping them for what it was going to be like to play in the stadiums with the, the audio and the commentary from the players was just like, this is super weird. And that energy, that passion, that drive, the kind of extra oomph that a live audience provides, Brandon, definitely seems like it has at least a psychological impact on on the players. And uh, whether or not that translates into performance is kind of, I'm, I'm going to be a little subjective player to player. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, in the good times, they're going to miss out. And in the bad times, they're probably going to be okay. The, you know, the, the three nothing at West Brom when we're losing three nothing probably not missing what may have been said in the stands right uh pummeling palace three nothing yeah you're gonna miss them and and things like that so the fans make the highs higher and the lows lower and sometimes they can take the lows and drag you up to then be able to let the team go on so again uh, absolutely tangible i think again the the factual thing we'll find out is that the the records of home and away are going to level out a lot more versus it being hey we'll win every game at home but lose every game on the road i think that'll settle out and go away a little bit one one final note on this is i, I think most players are tired of hearing so much of their managers during the match <laughs> so i'm sure they'll welcome the the white noise of the fans uh so that you know tammy doesn't have to hear frank yell at him Right. Before they'd be like, I'm on the other side of the field, Gaffer. I can't I can't, I can't hear, hear you. Halftime. It's so loud. Halftime. Yeah. I got you. <laughs> All right. Frank, so far from Miles underscore G10. A little good, a little bad. It says, question for the pod. What did Frank get right? And what is something that you thought Frank could do better? Um, if you're if 
one good, one bad. Dan, you're you're a professional manager, isn't this how you kind of start your <laughs> employee evaluations? Uh we, we tend to be more holistic around leveraging <laughs> strengths. And the, the criticism piece is maybe, you know, a little on the back burner for most of the conversations. Um if I were just when Dan's talking about me, does the criticism <laughs> come up first? <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's. Let's inverse. talk about what you've really messed up this year, and yeah. uh, please come in on Saturday with a brown box. <laughs> <laughs> Why wait to Saturday? Uh, Monday's just as good as any day. Um, look, I think if I were to say something that Frank has done well, I would say it is his ability to be adaptable to situations. I think that there have been. Games where the the result is kind of not going our direction. We need to make a change. He'll sub in the players. He'll change the formation or the shape. He'll be flexible within that. I think it's also the double-edged sword because I think it's also the same thing that is a problem is that the initial setup is not always how, how I think we could take advantage of some of the best players. I think, again, a lot of their, there's a lot of variables, Nick, about who's been available, but it, it just, I think there's a lot of learning Frank is doing and it doesn't always feel like the formation is set up to get this, like to make the success happen. It's going to be salvaged by great substitutions and being a little bit more reactionary than I think we would like just to go out and start winning from off the bat versus having to react to a, a goal against. Yeah, I think, you know, my one and two are, are probably linked, right? So the one is if you if you take the last year, you know, it's been about a year, a little bit more, but take the last year in totality, it's been the most chaotic year of any Premier League you know, team, but specifically at Chelsea not being able to buy players when he first got here and then having to deal with the pandemic and then having to deal with the restart and then not really having an offseason and barely squeaking through to, you know, I think you saw, if you, if you watch his interview yesterday after the match, he kind of talked through some of these points, which is to say that there, there's a lot that happened. He's had to, as a young manager with one year of managerial experience prior to this moment, come in and deal with a lot. And so I think my, my good statement here is that he's by and large been able to do so. Now you could argue that there are some things that he just, you know, he's, he's had to be, he's had to repair the, um, the mistake that he made, right? So he got the lineup wrong and had to bring on players very, very early on to fix the mistake or whatever. You could argue some of those things, but I think by and large, you take the entire picture of what's happened over the last calendar year. It's fucking insane. Like it genuinely is fucking insane what he's had to try and manage. And now he has a squad where a lot of people want to play and he only has 11 spots and he's bought some to, to bring in uh, some different quality. So I, I think as a young manager, he's handled this about as well as could be expected. But I think we all know that his IQ is so large that he's such an intelligent guy that we expect more from him as well. So I think one thing that he's done right is he has given players patience and time to develop, obviously with a lot of young players that we have. Um, I don't think other managers maybe would have given them as much time. Also hand forced a little bit with the transfer ban, kind of to your point, Nick. But I still think that 
Um, he could have chopped and changed a lot more than he has, but he hasn't. So I think kudos to him for providing a good uh, environment for these young, inexperienced players to come through, cut their teeth in the Premier League, and gain some confidence to go on to to, sh- to show us are they going to make it or not. Because I think it's hard to grade someone with only a handful of matches in the Premier League and be like, yes or no. And I think Frank recognized that. Yeah, Nick? Uh, well, part I mean, part of what you're saying, though, is he's had to come in and change the culture as well. Yeah. I mean, it's a big part of it. Like, he walked in and saw a broken locker room, a broken culture, and said, all right, well, now you you have to start somewhere. So he, he started with the culture because that's what was mm-hmm. kind of available to him, right? Like, it's not like he was going to bring in players last year. So it's part of what you're saying is like, yep. yeah, by bringing in young talent who have played for Chelsea their entire lives, you're starting with the culture and then instilling a work ethic in these guys that maybe wasn't there uh, under Sari is uh, huge. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And again, you know, it's telling them like, hey, you're going to make mistakes. It's okay, but we have to develop. We have to progress together. Uh, one thing he thought he could do better, uh, again, to me, it's that whole 56 different lineups in 60 matches. Some of it forced, but <laughs> the fact that like you can't even get a semi-consistent attack, a semi-consistent midfielder, semi-consistent defense. To me, I, I like hearing that he's he said in, in pre-Palace interviews, like, yes, every manager wants to get to a settled defense. Every manager wants to get to a settled formation. So he's just not there yet. But again, to me, it's like something that I really want to see, even if it's just part of the team. I'm totally fine if the attackers and the midfielders, they rotate and send different things. But usually want to have, we talk about the spine of a team, an anchor. Can we get the defense to have some consistency? Uh, can we get a, a person in the midfield who's the leader week in, week out, who knows their role and kind of keeps everyone organized around them? Those are the things that, that I'm hoping for. Um, but again, like overall, super happy with Frank and in the situations that he's had to had to deal with. It is more than most, and it, he's very young in his managerial career. Uh, oh wow! Thanks, JW, for this one. The darkest timeline. Uh, he says, "Warning: This is an exercise in pain." <laughs> what are your lowest bars you're willing to give Lampard? Meaning, what's the worst that could happen before you guys? entertain the idea of moving on from him which is corporate speak of giving lampard the sack firing him gone from the club uh look for me i would easily take a season outside the top four with frank and still be like okay a big picture here i think if you got to like genuinely nowhere close to the top four the results aren't coming there's no sign of progress and after the second season we're around mid table with like no chance to get in i think then you have to ask some serious questions um but to me it's hard for frank because he also is going to be judged on what other clubs around us are doing and that's out of his control if other clubs go and splash major investment that Chelsea aren't able to maintain after this transfer window, or they just something clicks and we are decimated by injuries. You know, that maybe the rules change again and all of a sudden Chelsea can't play with 11 players. Who knows, right? But to me, like, I've got a lot of patience for Frank. But to me, if we are like accurately mid table or well outside the top four, even top six, 
that for two seasons, then I'm going to have concerns. That's kind of my bar, Dan. Well, the, the right answer was to reject the premise of the question and <laughs> shut it down. Uh, I, I think the only scenario, if you really wanted to play this game of Darkest Timeline, when Chelsea would put themselves in a position to move on from Frank Lampard, if it were this year, would be if it was mathematically probable that Chelsea would be in a spot where they were fighting off relegation. I mean, I think that was the only reason, right, that Mourinho was kind of in the position to get sacked in in that season was because we were legitimately trying to claw our way back from terrible defeats against sides that we we shouldn't have have performed so poorly against Nick. So I think that's the only only conceivable mm. situation where I could see Chelsea saying, you know what, we would do this because the competition's tighter at the top. The economic situation kind of has a two-year pass because of the way financial fair play is being calculated. And there are still some players that are in this squad that are going to need to be moved out. And so I, I think there's plenty of situation here to consider, but I, I think we could finish outside of a European spot and I, I would still be fine. Uh, so you're both wrong. Per usual, the quickest way for a manager to get fired is if he loses the locker room, right? Like, I mean, you can you can replace a manager very easily. You can't replace twenty players very easily, and we've seen that happen time and time and time again at Chelsea. I don't think that will happen because I think he is the culture, and it's different than when Conte or Sari or any of the other fifteen hundred managers that we've had <laughs> were here. Uh, he is Mr. Chelsea. He's our best ever player. He owns the cultural piece of this. So I think he will be given more time because of that. Uh, I also think, as Dan said, the the finances and even league position to me is a lot more flexible because of the pandemic. We don't know if the season will carry on as it's currently planned. I mean, you're seeing in the NFL and Major League Baseball and every other American sport right now, and even in the Premier League with some coronavirus positive tests right now, that it is entirely possible that matches will be postponed, delayed, that players will be available or not available depending on how serious their symptoms are. So I think he, like, unless, unless we're 19th out of 20, as Dan, maybe as Dan was saying, I, I think he this year is another free pass for him. It's next year and probably the year after that are going to be the judgment times. But unless he loses the locker room, I just, you know, I, I don't see it. Um, yeah. Fair. And, and shout out to Kate as well, who echoed that. Just just trying to pin us into a corner, you two. All right. Eyes on you in the Discord. We see you. We see you. To, yeah. Literally, Kate, right now. <laughs> Sh- Shane in All the right. middle of the in the chat was like, don't do it. Don't. In, don't. Yeah. It's a trap. <laughs> <laughs> Emma Hayes, first team manager, question mark. Millhouse, come with the feel good. Appreciate this script work, Dan, uh, taking us from a, a dark place to a dark bright place. Backup. Says, do you think Emma Hayes could do better than Frank with our current squad? <laughs> it's a trap. He reversed it on us. Total I trust trap. Frank, and this is in no way a hashtag Frank out statement, but more of an acknowledging how good Emma is. Uh, look, Milhouse, there are other ways to talk about how good Emma is than should we replace Frank with Emma Hayes right now? I mean, my man, uh, <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to recollect my I'm going to collect myself. Dan, Emma Hayes, first team manager, Chelsea Football Club. Thoughts and feelings. 
So I don't know if she would be better than Frank. I will say I am absolutely 100% certain that she would be better than some of the current first team managers in the Premier League. <clears throat> Sorry. At 100%. And if you just, you know, the, the her ability to build culture, her ability to build a side that can attack, that can win six, seven, eight goals to nil and can grind out a one nil victory like we, we saw today, even when your your shooters aren't shooting, is you know what you want. And so I, I think it will be it won't be that long until you see a top tier side in uh, Germany, France, England, Spain that looks at Emma and says, you know what, there there's something there. And they're going to take the a, a very easy gamble on bringing her in to upgrade their side. You know, she, she clearly is head and shoulders above uh, plenty of the managers in the uh, the men's game. It's so easy. Like If you watch the Chelsea women consistently, it's so easy to see how tactically advanced she is over every other uh, FAWSL manager. Like it, it is night and day. She is also, we've had the pleasure of meeting her. She is just a rad person to be around. Straight shoot, like as straight a shooter as you could possibly imagine. Funny. I think she like there's this like women to men crossover that you're starting to see in the NBA with coaches and the NFL with coaches that, you know, the you know, some of the stigma is is gone away, you know, which is is super helpful at this stage in our societal life, but uh she will be an excellent first team manager at some point in, in the men's game. I don't necessarily think that's a bar that she has to achieve to be, to have notoriety. I mean, she's just fucking amazing as it is. Uh, if she wants to go pursue that all the more power to her, I don't think she has to. I, I think that's the, the key call out there, Nick, is that it doesn't have to be right. You know, it, her, her success and her legacy isn't defined by the fact that like, if she goes and, coaches in the men's game to prove herself you know i think what she is going to need to do at uh, our club is to go out and win the champions league uh the women's champions league with the side that we are putting together i think that's going to be the next statement for her to kind of knock like a, a leon off the off the pedestal here for kind of her pedigree piece i think that's very sound analysis of the situation right is it she can be amazing she can be great running the women's game and just changing it she is absolutely she's been and and what i can only infer from an outsider looking in has changed a lot of the women's super league by going to chelsea and making big bold demands and saying if you want to be take this serious we need to invest we need to treat the women like the men's team and the academy team like no more kind of oh you're out there in Cobham doing your own thing we're talking sports medicine. We're talking nutrition, strength. But then we hear that they're doing it for women. They're not putting the women in the men's type of training, right? They're taking in the the needs of the female body. They're taking in the 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 difference in the in the women's game to the men's game. They're not just copying and pasting it. They're creating a whole new model for these players specifically. And it seems to my perspective, that is coming from Emma specifically. So her ability to break down barriers and change the women's game and, and, and treat these athletes the way they should be as top athletes, uh, I am 
I am so impressed. I could not be more proud that Chelsea have her at the helm, that they have her, uh, that they're backing her to go mm-hmm. change the game in the ways that they see fit. Um, and, and you know, they're they're going to challenge for Europe. And, yeah, they've had a couple bumps already this season that they're not used to. But, hey, she, she's not afraid of a challenge. She's not afraid to back down anything. And I think that it would be awesome if the opportunity was right and she was given the chance and she was the chance she wanted and she was actually backed because it can't be a token gesture that doesn't work out for a PR stunt or whatever. She has to be backed and it has to be serious. But again, I think she could just go run the women's game, change it for the best, and go down as one of the greatest managers in the country of England, full stop. So, Emma Hayes, you're an absolute hero. Keep it up. Hey guys, uh, it's Jeremiah Ludacris here, the local editor. Cutting in to say, Brandon did not put an ad break, so uh, unless I unless he did. Um, if he did and, and you noticed, he's, he called for the ad. You didn't notice, okay? It's me. I called for the ads, and that's the only one that matters now. Hit it! You've counted on restaurants, and now they are counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. That's right. DoorDash is the app that brings the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is super easy. You just open up the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with their new contactless delivery drop-off setting, which I encourage. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, or the Cheesecake Factory. But they have the added bonus of having some of your favorite local spots on there as well, which I I personally love to support my local restaurants like Lulu's in Kansas City. What's up? Shout out to you guys. I've eaten from you a lot this year. (laughs) Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more, which is not hard to do, when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's all one word. That's right, $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the app store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Do it. Fellas, 2020 has made it hard for us to stay as hygienic as we should be. Luckily, our partners at Manscaped have made it easy to turn your bathroom into your own private salon. Manscaped is on a mission to change the grooming game with their below-the-waist grooming and hygiene products, and they just released their products in the UK, Canada, and Australia. The Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer offers a replaceable ceramic blade with advanced skin-safe technology, which helps reduce grooming accidents. The waterproof technology also allows you to groom in the shower and for up to 90 minutes. They also just released their Shears 2.0 nail kit, which is perfect add-on to the Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. Their perfect package comes with two free gifts and other liquid formulations to complete your ball trimming routine. These formulations are all vegan, cruelty-free, dye-free, sulfate-free, paraben-free, so you know your disco stick is in good hands. You're probably sitting on the couch with your hands on your balls anyways. Might as well keep them smelling fresh with the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, an anti-chafing ball deodorant designed to defend against the below-the-waist odors. When that summer humidity hits, I use these to keep my balls from sticking to my legs. They even use the Crop Reviver Ball Toner that is spray-on toner for your testicles. Their foot duster, foot deodorant, is so good they can even reduce the odor of the dirtiest feet. Use the code LONDONISBLUE and get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Basically, all I'm saying is if you love your package, all you have to do is go to their site, hit a few buttons on your phone, and it will change your life for the better. Get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the code LONDONISBLUE and upgrade that salon with the luxury products of Manscaped.
All right. Next one from Gabriel underscore NC says, do you think Giroux has had a good effect on Tammy? Question mark. I feel like he was doing well, holding up the ball and directing the attack. Does the Chilwell Werner partnership look promising? So if you focus on the first one, Nick, with the Ali Giroux being a good locker room influence, teaching Tammy, you know, from all all that we can see and everyone we've talked to, it sounds like he's been a great influence on the locker room and hence why he's gotten an additional year at Chelsea after he was so close to leaving in January just last season. Yeah. Yes. He's a good guy. (laughs) Like clearly a good guy. Uh, He genuinely, I think brings leadership, but he may not, I don't think he's like the most vocal type of person. You know, I think he's just, he's like an example type of guy. Um, Look, uh, it is very, very clear that Tammy's picked up some tips and tricks along the way. You think about where Tammy was last year at the beginning and, and kind of more of a slender build and not able to hold the ball up as well. He's clearly advanced in some of those areas. Now, is he ever going to be Giroux? Probably not. They, they have two different types of strengths and weaknesses. Tammy's much more of a poacher than Giroux's ever been. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, veteran leadership, a really good quality character, that's exactly what Giroux is. And again, you think about the way that he finished last year, Chelsea are not in the Champions League if not for Olivier Giroux uh, playing super well at the end of the year. So I just, I have a ton of respect and time for him. Dan, do you have said time and respect for Ali yeah, Giroux? Tell us, Dan. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he is uh, a wonderful character to have. I think he super understands what it means to win at the top level. I mean, you you don't win a you know, a World Cup if you are, you know, I mean, you can be an average player and win a World Cup, but uh, to do so and be so selfless in his game to enable others to find individual glory and be a part of a team uh, shows the type of character and personality he brings. And I think it's tough when you're also acclimatizing a lot of players into the the Premier League this season, I think it's going to be super helpful, not not just for for Mendy and for um, Thiago Silva, but you think about someone like Saar who's come in and you know potentially can get a little bit of that backing from a fellow countryman in Giroud. So let's say, yeah, great to have around. Uh, you know, as long as he's comfortable uh, being there, happy to have him. I I think that this this quote from Giroud that he gave on the website also shows that. Lampard is managing these senior players well. On top of it, Giroud on staying at Chelsea Cole. I was supposed to leave in January transfer window because I wasn't playing much and I needed more game time to make the France squad for Euro 2020. I very nearly left the club, but I really think that God wanted me to stay at Chelsea. The manager told me that he couldn't let me leave because he didn't have anyone to replace me. Everyone knows what happened, so I won't go back over it. But the coach spoke to me privately and told me that he'd give me more games. And he did, and Ollie delivered, and it was the perfect situation. So to me, this kind of goes back to to Frank using his experienced players as effectively as he can with that one, which is why we saw Tiago Silva come in this summer, literally for experience. All right, uh, next up, we talk about Magic Mason Mount real quick. Uh, from Aerith Mulgo saying, do you think Mount's presence in the first matches helped Timo and Kai up their press and hustle more than their last teams because of the model behavior they witnessed? And then same thing, stretching logic saying, do you think today showed that we don't have to squeeze Mount into this team to be successful? Look, Dan, we know that Mason's been uh, kind of freight teacher's pet, quote unquote. Uh, he's played a six, an eight, a 10, a seven, 11, a nine, a three, a two, whatever. He does whatever he needs to do Everything for the team. except keeper. Exactly. So what are your thoughts on these kind of questions about 
um, you know, Mason, maybe even leading by example and being Frank's kind of go-to guy. Well, I think you don't have to squeeze him into a lineup where the other team is, you're not going to have to win the ball back, which is one of the things that he is, has an un unending amount of energy to go out and do and to press and win the ball back. If a team is going to give you 70 plus percent possession, you probably could give Mason a, a, a 90 minutes off and allow him to be ready for the next team that he is going to have to you know compete in the channels a little bit more for the ball. Uh, I, I do think he helps set a bit of a standard for, for others to follow. I think if you look at what Callum was doing in this last match, if you look what uh, you know, Tima was being a little you know, selfless and how he was sacrificing himself in this past match too, just you know, playing on the left versus playing centrally is a completely different conversation. But yeah, I mean, I, I think he he sets a standard for when he's on the pitch, and I think it will be nice to see if we can play him in the midfield consistently and not have to put him on the wings for this season because I think. A lot of his criticism, Nick, is based upon the fact that he is put in different positions across the front three or in the midfield and doesn't have a consistent position because he has been like the jack of all trades and kind of maybe is then the master of none. And that is why his criticism, I think, is so strong because he doesn't get the run in where he's most effective. I mean, this is what happened to Jorginho the first year that Sari was here, too. Right. I mean, a lot of the same types of things, you know, when you're the the son or the teacher, whatever it is, uh, whatever garbage that is, that's what happens. Uh, yeah, I think you're 100 percent right. You give him 12 games in a row and, and an eight. I would I would guarantee you're going to see a hell of a lot more consistency in, in, in his performance. And then also from the players around him, because they're going to know where he's going to be. Right. Like if, if he. I feel like he's been unfairly criticized, but, you know, obviously if you've listened to this podcast, you'll understand my sentiment on that. But the part of the reason I think he's unfairly criticized is because he's asked to do a lot of the dirty work. He, you know, he's the, what he is in NFL terms is the equivalent of like a Mike linebacker who's able to see the field a little bit, who's able to, go make you know, a play in the secondary. He's able to go make a play in the backfield, but he's not consistently doing one of those things. And so when he's out on the wings, he's asked to do a lot of defensive work to cover. I mean, it's just frankly is what it is. Um, and maybe he isn't as good in tight spaces as Pulisic or Ziyech or any of these other wingers that we have will be, but it's not his primary job. So th just think about the team, the way the team's structured and he'll, his performances will make more sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, we want to have a settled role, not a, uh, well, we have a gap in the lineup. So, Mason, today you're playing in this spot. <laughs> it's like throwing darts at the, well, I guess yeah, he's going to play the wing today. Cool. All right. A little bit of lightning round to wrap this one up. Uh, this one's all about formations and kind of selections in the formations. <laughs> so this would be fun. Wolf. <laughs> Keep it short, gentlemen. Milhouse saying, if Frank is committed to the four-two-three-one, then what is our best double pivot? Is it Conte and RLC? Conte, Jorginho, Kova, Jorginho. Give me two names. Dan, go. I, I also reject the premise of this question. <laughs> <laughs> Same. I, I, I think it, our, our best lineup is going to be our best lineup. I, I think it's it shouldn't necessarily be down Excellent to... analysis, Dan. <laughs> well, no. I mean, like... Good short answer. I don't know. I mean, a four-two-three-one. It's super flexible, right? You set something up as an eleven, 
and it's going to be different in attack than it is in defense. So as much as you want to commit to like, oh, we're going to play with, with these two in the front, that really didn't happen because Jorginho played super far back. Conte played forward in this match. So it was really, oh my he jumped forward. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not an easy Give answer. Give me two Nick. names. I didn't ask if you agree with the premise. I just need <laughs> two best uh. double pivot players. Well, this was Please. the start of me defending my thesis on uh, the, <laughs> the, the fluidity of formations. <laughs> Yeah, you and Shane can go start a private group chat and work through this and then bring it to the team. I need the deck with 48 hours notice. Double pivot, Nick. Can I get two names? Gilmore, Conte. Interesting. Uh, I'm going to go with as of today. I still think it's Kova and Conte, but man, Jorginho made a case with all those forward passes. All right, next one up. Miles says, if Pulisic and Ziyech are both healthy, who plays as a center forward? Does Tammy keep the spot or does Werner go into that slot? Skipping Dan, I think that Timo <laughs> Werner uh, will be the number the number nine up there uh, playing as a center forward, assuming those guys are healthy. Nick, what about you? Depends on the match. Oh, my. Depends on the match. I, like, <laughs> I, I, I think that Tammy's going to play a lot this year, and I know that's going to not make Dan happy because – uh, of of his love for for Werner, but I could see Tammy playing as a number nine frequently this year. But we're going strongest lineup, so we've got everyone healthy. We're playing the Champions League final. Who should be the number nine? Well, yeah, Werner will probably start up. Okay, front. In, in that in that very specific scenario, yes, right. And Werner this isn't start. we're not discrediting Tammy. We're not discrediting Kovacic, Conte, Georgina, whoever that we don't choose. It's just if we had the best eleven to put out, this is where we're at. Dan, I'm nervous. Can you choose a center forward? <laughs> well, it's really going to be based upon uh, trends. Oh, no. So right. um, whoever's scoring at the moment is going to be the hot hand that you're going to go after. I would say that I am most excited to see a Pulisic, Werner, and, and Ziyech front and see what they're capable of doing within providing service there. I think that Callum's ball so far has not been great getting to the forward uh this season so far which i hope that that will return because he was kind of offering up some good uh good mobility there last season um but yeah i i think i i'm interested to see Werner get a chance to play more centrally i don't like him hanging out on the left as much as he has okay great great question from shane in the thread here by the way we just got an instant question uh need uh needed to get this one answered how many long out how many long answers by Dan do you have to edit out every episode? You guys, we record for seven hours on Sunday just because of Dan. Largely. This, is, this is why Dan doesn't put lightning rounds in the script because he cannot play by said lightning round rules. Uh, last one in this lightning round is from Big Mofo Ben saying, is Pulisic guaranteed his spot on the left or will Frank fit him in at other positions potentially as a 10? So again, do you guys think Pulisic can play centrally or do you think he is much better out on the wing? Nick emphatically giving himself a headache by shaking his head no. Why not, Nick? No, I. what are you talking <laughs> about? No. Um, no, he, he showed that he could play the 10. At the end of the year, he was dropping. He was going much more centrally and then dropping deep to receive the ball because he was being crowded out by nine or 10 players at the time because he was kind of the star man. So I, I think there is a scenario where Havertz you know, is, is injured or needs rotation and Pulisic. If this four-two-three-one is the way we go, which I have a massive problem with personally, um, then he slots in as the ten, and then you could possibly play Cal on the left and have Ziyech on the right. Because I think Cal 
likes playing on the left more than he does mm-hmm. on the right. I think his cross is way better coming in from the left than it is from the right. Yeah, Christian's not a crossing type of player. He likes to be out in the wide space so he can be direct going into goal. Um, mm-hmm. So that I, I think he could do the same thing centrally where he's going centrally towards an angle. Anyways, that's what I think. The answer is yes. Dan, over to you in this lightning round. One word. Yes. Yes, he did it. All right. <laughs> All right, last question. We're going to end with a, a bit of a, a philosophical one from Aerith Mungle saying, do you feel like you've become more in tune with some aspects of some specific aspects of the footballing world over the course of your potting that you otherwise wouldn't be as refined with as a quote unquote normal fan? Are there pieces of the game or world you want to understand better? I would say yes. I mean, look, mm. expected goals is a thing that has been come into existence since we started and Dan hangs his hat on said stat every single week. No, I'm kidding. But I I would say I absolutely have. Um, I've always been a very tactical type person when I watch the game, Uh, but getting, getting into the knowledge of kind of the technical sides of what the rules are of different players and things like that is where I've, I've really grown to Um, at least me personally, as I, as I try to watch it as a holistic part Mm -hmm. of, of how the teams play. So I would say I've absolutely grown in in a lot of that and then also for me uh the pieces of the game that i want to understand better uh i think is is a lot of the scouting and how how the clubs put together their scouting profiles for players uh we started to get to know some people who are in that world and it's really fascinating to me about how they put together this player profile so uh hopefully working with smarter scout and some other people that you know we've been we've been talking to i can get to do a little bit of an understanding so we can talk about players potentially coming to chelsea in a much better light uh, Dan, what about you, sir? Yeah, I mean, I think the the way that you know we slash I have learned about how we evaluate at the youth level, how we bring people up through the academy, how we evaluate when they need to go on loan versus when they need to stay and and be ingrained, and how we also manage our talent pipeline when it comes to coaching staff as well through the academy and progressing that forward, and and how that all. Inter, interlocks appropriately so that you have a talent pipeline both at a coaching level and at a uh, talent level for the actual footballers. Uh, I think continuing uh, this season, you know, we, we have a commitment around uh, doing more about the, the women's game and continue to learn about uh, not just the women players on, on Chelsea, but across the, the, you know, the FAWSL and kind of the international game too, I think is where we want to continue to, uh, and I continue to, uh, to grow in this year. Yeah, I, I think, all that is right. The scouting thing is fascinating. You, you don't realize how little you know until you talk to someone who knows a lot. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> oh, my God, like, shit, it's just a, a whole different world. Uh, so, yeah, I think there's a ton of room to learn and grow there. We could always be better uh, on that front. I think the area that I want to continue to explore a little bit more is just like in game picking up on the little things that happen. Uh, so every time I've watched growing up, when I've watched American football, I've always been able to tell when a flag is going to come in just be, just by watching some of the like not who has the ball, but the play around it. And so I've started to translate that into my into my Chelsea a little bit more and just picking up on the the play before the play that makes the play, you know, and being able to call some of that stuff out because I think you sound more educated when you can pick up on some of those things so that's an area that i'm i'm trying to get better at so you want to be like tony romo where he calls the play before the play gets called look i'm convinced (laughs) romo has a live feed into his ear and that we're watching this thing on tape delay i'm pretty sure that's what's (laughs) happening there
Hell yes. I'll be the highest paid player or highest paid broadcaster on this show. That would be great. Well, look, as an exercise, I'm glad we did this mailbag. It's great. Apparently, we can even learn more about you two that I didn't even know about. And it's (laughs) as we are fully on uh, path of our seventh season. Uh, But look, we're excited to do more stuff like this to, you know, engage. And we like maybe talking not only about football and Chelsea all the time uh, is in case you haven't experience that our discord talks rarely about football there are life experiences uh we have ethics situations in there we have a math channel i mean it, it, it encompasses everything all right outside of football but i think that's what makes it so much fun uh is just creating a community and being able to connect with everyone so again thank you guys so much we appreciate the questions we'll come back with more enjoy your international break We've got more content coming before we uh, we come Enjoy back. Enjoy your international break. Yeah, as best you can, right? Southampton is who we're taking on when we're back. And obviously, we'll do the, the full-on preview and review of that one. But hey, uh, take a break. Relax. Enjoy some time with your loved ones. Uh, get out before the snow comes if you're like me in Minnesota. And stay safe, everyone. But until next time, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. Vote. 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 Vote.